Hi, hello, bonjour, and namaste. This is Out of the Clouds, a podcast at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I'm your host, Anne Mulatala. Today, my guest is celebrity fitness trainer and former ballerina, Julie Granger. So I came across Julie in what I would like to call a twist of fate, just at a time last year where I really wanted to explore ballet and dance. I can easily say that I'm very Zoom friendly, so I'm used to work and exercising online since 2017. So I very easily jumped into one of her online classes. And what immediately struck me with Julie is her passion for teaching, how fun and yet terribly difficult some of her classes are, Uh, but made much easier by her warmth and her sense of humor. So I was really excited to talk to her about her parcours, her journey from the banlieue of Paris to the Boston Ballet, the career that she left behind, and also how she pursued her new callings as a yoga, then fitness instructor, uh, an entrepreneur. And uh, she tells me how she wants to make the benefits of ballet available to all. It was a real pleasure to talk to her, and I'm hoping that you'll enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Happy listening. Julie, it's such a pleasure to see you today. Welcome to Out of the Clouds. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So tell me, where are we finding you today? So today I'm in Paris, which is about almost uh, half the time. I split my time between Paris and Lisbon, but today is where I am in Paris. Wonderful. (laughs) So I love to, to start by asking all of my guests to tell their story quite freely and tell us who you are where are you from and and what you do today? Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm going to try to give you the story here. So I am originally from the suburbs of Paris. So that's where I was born. I I started ballet, you know, as a hobby because my mom always danced at age seven. I didn't know that was going to be something so important in my life at the time. But I did grow a huge passion for it. And when I was a, a, a teenager, you know, my parents were... Well, my teachers were always saying, you know, she has a lot of talent. She should go to a proper school. But my dad was not so much into that, I guess. So I had kind of my, you know, my teenager crisis when I was 16. And I said, okay, like, no, I need to dance. I've been, you know, for years wanting to dance. So that's all I could think about. And so I went to secretly audition to this very good school with my mom. I didn't tell my dad. And then a few weeks later, we, we found that I was accepted into what was like a youth company. So it was really proper, very challenging training. And I was very late because you don't start professional ballet at age 16. You start at age nine, you know. So he let me go, but, you know, he was not really happy about it. Uh, And that's where everything really uh, started for me. So I... I did my entire high school in Paris while I was still living in the suburbs. So I had like a three hour commute every day. I was training, you know, four hours a day in ballet. And I had a lot of pressure to still because I was like always first of the class, you know, like model students, you know. So I had a lot of pressure to keep those grades up because, you know, my dad was just really mad at me, I think, for, (laughs) for wanting to be a dancer. So I did that. And then when I graduated from high school... I had like an injury, like a foot injury. And because I graduated with 
good grades. They allowed me to take a year off and that was for me to train in ballet some more and then audition to ballet companies. But my dad had a very good call. He said, I don't want you to just do that. You go learn English for two months somewhere. And that's where I ended up in Boston. And I was not supposed to dance because I had this small injury. And I actually took my little ballet slippers and started taking class at Boston Ballet. And little did I know at the time that when I would just go take class, they noticed me there and they say, you should audition here. And I was, you know, I'm 18 at the time. And so I did. And the day before I'm supposed to go back to Paris after my two months, you know, English learning, <laughs> I, I get no news from them. So I call and I say, listen, I guess I was not accepted, but could you tell me why? Because I would like to know what I should be working on. And they said, what? You didn't get the letter? Of course you got accepted. And I was like, what? So at 18 years old, here I am calling my parents, mom, dad, I actually got into um, the pre-professional program at Boston Ballet, which was like a dream. I mean, for me, it was something unattainable because I started so late and I would always look at Boston Ballet's website. And it, it really were the dream really started at that point because for me, it was something I could, I mean, just ending up surrounded with these dancers and in this school, like very, very proper training and everything. So that's how I ended up in Boston. And I stayed there for a year and a half. And then I went to, to Jeffrey Ballet in Chicago. And this is where after all these efforts and just really wanting to dance and I, you know, I'm skipping through all the hard teenagehood I had because you get yelled at and I had very long commutes. I would wake up at 5 a.m., take a 7 a.m. train every day, Monday through Saturday, you know, all of these just to get yelled at that you're not this and you're not that and, you know, all these things. But anyway, once I got to, to Joffrey in Chicago, I just felt somewhat uninspired by this entire world. And I had this injury that was the same from the one, you know, that I told you about before was a foot injury. And I just felt, okay, so what do I do now? What, what should I do? And because I didn't know that it's like if I had done all these efforts and all of a sudden I woke up and I got to think, you know, it's like for years I made efforts without really questioning anything. And all of a sudden I questioned myself a lot. So then I decided to go to New York where I could go to college and keep training. And so I did that. I got my degree. I opened a ballet school at the same time at age 22. I got my degree in entrepreneurship a few years after I opened my ballet school. And at the same time, I had trained to be a yoga instructor and a, and a fitness instructor. That's where everything started in the fitness, in my fitness journey, I would say, started in New York, which became like a true passion that I didn't know I could have. And from then on, I decided to move to Paris where I could open my own uh, place because I, I did not really know what it was to be an adult in Europe. I had only been in, in the U.S. at the end because my two-month trip turned out to be 11 years long. <laughs> and I moved to Paris. Well, I moved to Berlin first because I wanted to open my studio there. And then I decided Paris was a better idea. Uh, that there was more of a demand for it. And I, I took me one year to get a strong customer base and get known in Paris and find a space. And I did. And I opened my studio, uh, which was the goal was to bring real American concepts to Paris where, you know, it doesn't exist. They have, they were super behind here as to fitness. 
and was great and frustrating at the same time. But Paris is there behind, but they don't know they're behind and they don't want to know they're behind. You know, <laughs> no, we're totally fine. And they're really not. You know, So it was cool to bring them something very different. But it's really like making a jump 20 years forward compared to the actual current offer. I mean, it's concepts that I created, but that are based on American concepts that I would teach over there in New York. And yeah, so it worked very well. And then COVID happened. And long story short, I saw the opportunity to be able to have very little fixed costs and reach a greater number of people. And this is how I actually quit all of that and went to Lisbon. And now I live in Lisbon where I operate an on-demand platform that I created. Last year, I do my live stream classes and then I come back to Paris to to teach private clients, to do some nice events. And I have some good collaborations coming up this year with a beautiful brand. So that's basically the short version, but there is many, many adventures in between and, you know, change of, you know, changes of directions and things and opportunities that were seen, opportunities that were lost, but other ones that appeared and trying to trying to navigate the best I can and and never stay stuck anywhere. (laughs) Thanks. That was an excellent summary (laughs) of your life. Hard to follow. I apologize. (laughs) No, 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 no. I thought that was great. I'm fascinated by, by that moment that you described about having worked so hard towards a goal and then realizing that actually you're not interested in that goal. I have to say this is a characteristic I have that has really helped me and at the same time really not helped me is if I decide something, but since I'm a child, I'm like that. I will go to the until I get that thing or until I become that thing or and I will never think twice. And it's it starts with stupid things that one day when I was 12, I wanted to save money to buy a surfboard. And I saved money for four years. And then, you know, then I'm a teenager and I'm, I have the money. And I said, I don't want a surfboard, you know, and it's like, but for four years, I did not ever question why I was saving this money until I actually got it and then questioned it. So I'm really like that. And with ballet, it's, I was breathing ballet. I was like a ballet nerd. I, that's what made me happy. You know, that's the only thing that I loved. And and I worked so hard and it's really a hard career. It's just, it's just I think it's the hardest thing. And I, now if I think of everything that I went through in my ballet training and my ballet career, I don't even know how I did it. I, it's, I could not do it twice. I'm happy I did it once because I could not do it again. Now, if you asked. And it's really something that I think, you know, teenagers, I think they're strong. They fight with their parents or whatever. And I think all of this, I never fought with my parents. I never had this crisis of being a rebel. But all of that kind of like rage that teenagers have, I put into the discipline of ballet training. I was up at five every day as a teenager when you really need to to sleep. And I would wake up and stretch because I was hurting from everywhere. Take a 7 a.m. train. You know, it was it was crazy. I would come back at 7 p.m. and fall asleep on my books and and do it again the next day. And and while knowing, you know, that my dad didn't want me to be doing that. And so I was I felt like my mom was very supportive, but it was a very lonely life because I was taking a train, going to school, going to ballet school, taking the train back. I was really lonely. And it's just a career where you never know that it's going to work. It's not like you're feeling secure in that world. No one makes you feel secure, whether it is the teachers or the girls around you. It's a very it like un- 
not unsafe as to safety, but it's like, you know, mentally and everything. So I think that was my way to to survive in that world and with the life that I created, because like when all my friends from my former school were partying and asking, hey, Julie, like do it. And I was like, no, I am tired. No, I need to sleep. And, you know, ballet, you don't eat much. Basically, my teenagehood was like jail, but that I totally imposed on myself. But no one, no one else wanted me to live like that, but I imposed it on myself. And I think that I didn't ask myself a question because if I did, then I think like at the moment I had questioned my, the life I chose, I think would have, I would, I would have probably given up. I did this for two years and then Joffrey. So it's four or five years of being, having absolutely no life and everything revolving around ballet. And yes, and then kind of eye opening. And it was, I think it was building up, but I was not aware of it. And there was one particular event and it's, I had like a breakthrough during it. Something that seems very silly one moment. And then I decided, my God, I can't do this my entire life. Can I ask you what that moment was? It's going to be the silliest thing. It's the silliest moment ever. I'm organizing a party at home in Chicago with dancers from the Joffrey Ballet. I mean, I love life, even though I'm very disciplined. I love people. I love and I'm having this party and there is a girl that comes and she has, it's Saturday night and she has her bun still stuck in, you know, we're supposed to go to a club later. I turn around, this other girl is wearing these very ugly sneakers, but it's because her back hurts. So she has to wear the, the you know, and we're going to a club later. There is a girl here who probably has not eaten in the past 14 years and is peeling an orange and that's probably the only thing she's going to eat all week. And there's two guys here that were speaking about a video on YouTube from Barishnika from like 1976. And But this is all true. And it's funny because it's like if it was a picture on my desk that I see every day. It's me sitting on my own couch. These two guys about the video, the girl with the orange, the one with her bun and the one with the sneakers. And I think something very important was happening in the world. There was something very important, like political. And all we're talking about is this, like, and I had this almost like a panic attack where my vision did like this on my coffee table. Everything became blurry around. And I said to myself, you cannot be surrounded by this your entire life. And I love ballet and it's the most beautiful thing. And I love dancers, like, don't get me wrong. But because I was in my family, we raised really like school is super important. And I really always loved school. I love to learn. I always loved school. So for me, it was too close minded. It was too, and I had like a, and it said, it said at a party, you know, and I wasn't, I mean, I was injured. So it was an injury that it's chronic. It's a bone that is kind of, so it, I would always have this injury. So I had like the thing where do I decide what do I do? I have this injury that is going to hurt. I sometimes couldn't even walk and I had to go dance. Uh, I have this injury and then this, you know, and, and I thought well, it's not worth, you know, me living with this pain all the time. And to be in this world, I felt like a, if I, I felt like a, in a very tiny little box <laughs> all of a sudden. Thanks so much for sharing that. That sounds, um, that's, <laughs> that does sound it's like silly, a post- but No, it sounds like a postcard. I feel like I can almost see the people on the couch and, and the coffee table. It's quite, it's quite, quite a picture you painted. But it's, it's fascinating because 
I feel like a lot of people are probably going to resonate with your story, even if they've never followed a career as difficult as ballet. Because many of us start something, including, you know, get into a company, start a job, pick up something and, and, and stay stuck. And not everybody listens or notices or makes the change when they get their moment of realization. And I have a feeling that in the past couple of years, a lot of people have had feelings of, you know, the waking up call. But yeah. now I'd like to ask you, that must have been a huge change in identity of, you know, letting that go, right? It's, it's funny you know that because I feel uh, it's very nice that you know that because it's something that dancers really struggle with uh, that most people maybe cannot understand. When you grow up as a dancer and you... And it's something to somehow that you're very proud of and that people around you are really proud of. So you're like the dancer of the family. You're the dancers in your group of friends. And you're only a dancer because your entire life revolves around that, because what you eat revolves around that, because what time you go to sleep revolves around that, because every like even the friends you make and dancers who have to quit ballet for a reason or another have a very, very hard time just because of this part. And I actually know of dancers who stay dancers even though they're horribly unhappy in that career because it's almost, you feel shame somehow. You feel ashamed that this is what you were known as and all of a sudden, what are you, what do you do? But like 100% of the dancers have this kind of syndrome if they stop or they don't need to stop to to know that they will have it if, when they quit or, or you know, when they get too old and they have to retire. And all of this is something very hard. So you have dancers that go to until retirement and get that horrible feeling like, okay, so now who am I? And for me, I had that, it, it, it was horrible. I mean, I had a couple of years that were horrible. And much later on, I was talking to a dancer from the Paris Opera who is really not happy in her career and asked me, how did you do? And she's still there four years later. And I, I kept telling her, it's hard. You're going to spend two years where you don't know if you made the right decision, where you're unhappy, where you miss it, where you feel ashamed, where you feel... But if really this doesn't make you happy, at the end, it's all... I mean, I'm so happy in my life and in how my life turned out to be. And it's something courageous to do because you know what you're giving up but you don't know what you're getting but when something makes you unhappy like deeply unhappy or or even just if you're uninspired or if you have but it's brave I, I think I was feeling very embarrassed and I was feeling all of a sudden that I didn't matter to people around me because I was thinking everyone was oh she's the dancer you know and that was really hard. I remember that. But now if I think about it, I'm happy I did it then because I was young. The more you wait, the harder it is. It's like with everything in life, right? So if you want to learn a language better, to, you know, the younger you are, the more adaptable you are. I kind of gave up everything I had worked for and without an actual clear plan. I always have a plan. I always have a plan of action, but I don't always know why. But I was okay, now I'm going to do this, this and that. But it's scary. I went into this unknown territory of moving to New York and starting business school. And, you know, it was weird for me to not be in ballet class every day. But it's a shift psychologically. It, it is something very hard to do. I'm happy it's behind me. I'm happy I don't have to feel like this anymore. <laughs> There's so much stuff to unpack in what you've just said. It's really fascinating. So just for the, the context, when I was a teenager, I was a singer. My voice is very low today because I've had a little bit of a cough this week. And so 
similarly to you, I think that I decided to pursue a career, even though no one in my family was remotely supportive. And, um, and it's really interesting because I think that it's something that one of my coaches, Martha Beck, she calls the, this kind of personality <laughs> a contrarian. When you decide to follow your passion, even though intellectually everything that you've been taught or you're being told is telling you not to do it. Yes. It's kind of fascinating. But I've also heard several people explain, and I think this is, there's a concept that you may be familiar with called the polymath. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. A polymath is someone who pursues several different specialties. So they can also be be called a generalist, but by being a ballet dancer at first, then you know, studying business, then doing the fitness training, then doing the yoga, you suddenly have all of these different pieces and putting them together is creating the unique offering that you now have today with the studio, <laughs> right? Thank you. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I didn't know that it had a particular name, but I think it's like that. And I was always like this as a teenager when I was doing ballet. At some point, I was also rowing and the people in the rowing team wanted me in the rowing team. And so I asked my parents, ah, can I do the rowing too? And they were like, Julie, you can't. These are different muscles. What do you pick? So I picked that. But as a kid, I was doing ballet, piano, theater, and golf at the same time. So I guess I was always like that. And and it's hard. Like sometimes I'm the same with the cities I live in. And it's weird. I Yeah, I am a very passionate person. So I'm very passionate about many different things, you know. And so it makes it probably unique. Sometimes it makes it that you feel like, okay, like I wish I could just pick and be, you know, it's like with ideas, you know, oh, maybe I should do this. Oh, no, maybe, you know, my, my mom to this day, sometimes I, I start a, you know, a conversation with her on the phone. She goes, Julie, you're not going to move to Milan. Oh, Julie, you know, so, so, so. so I got, a, I, I was talking to someone in Milan and it's, and it's like, no, Julie, you're not moving again to Milan, you know, and, or it could be anything else. Or it's true. It, it's quite interesting. So it, it, yeah, it makes it something probably different. It also makes it sometimes that you feel like that you're running out of time in a certain way because you did so many things so fast and sometimes it's time to pick one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to do that yet. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I want to say, just to add to what you mentioned, is that most people think that we only have one career or one passion in life. And the thing is, I had no idea, but there's, there's another wonderful coach based in the US called Tara Moore, who talks about it. And, he, and she says it very eloquently. And she says, we can have multiple callings. And it's just very interesting to learn when to let go when it's no longer the right calling, right? So I could not agree more with what you just said. And it's something that I think people maybe do not believe or people are suspicious about or because it's already hard to get one passion. Maybe some people live their entire life not even finding their one passion. And so for me, when I had ballet, it was everything to me. It's like, if I couldn't dance, I I can't live. So, you know, I, I was capricious as a teenager in that way because I kind of, blackmailed my dad even I say if you don't let me do this I will never forgive you know because it was everything I didn't care about I didn't care that I sometimes I made myself unhealthy I didn't care that that would hurt people around me I didn't care about anyone else 
or anything else but me dancing. So it's very, it's a very uh, at the same time selfish thing to do, but it's also something that takes your entire world, right? So how could you have space for ever finding another passion? Now, where I feel very lucky and where what maybe I, I, I hopefully want to tell other people, if already you found one passion, you're quite lucky, but then yeah, you can find two, maybe you can find three. What happened to me is three quarters of my blood is teachers. So three, three of my grandparents were school teachers. My mom's a school teacher. So, but you know, like the old fashioned teacher, like very, that knew everything. And so not ballet, I'm just, you know, teacher, school teacher. But for me, first, the teaching is something that's like really in me. But when I first took the first yoga class, a friend of mine from in Chicago drag me <laughs> I said now what do you want me to do yoga you know I only like the hard stuff I only like you know she goes come 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 and I was like no no you will drag me by the hair but I will not go and so she forced me to go and I was like I hate her and she took me to a hot yoga uh, now, because I had an idea that I have, I'm going to have to sit and close my eyes and breathe, which re- right now at my age and stuff like sounds very good. But at the time, you know, I just wanted to do efficient stuff and sweat. And and she took me to this class, like it was the music and stuff. And, and to this day, like that kind still is not the, the happening in France. So again, in a way that we're behind because that was in 2010. But I mean, it, revelation. So I don't know. It's like if uh, you read a book that changes your life or you watch a movie that I don't know what happened, but it changed my life. So from then on, I would go to 7 a.m. hot yoga before I would go to my 10 a.m. you know, ballet class. And I didn't skip it. So then when I moved to New York to study, I would do that, the 7 a.m. hot yoga. And it really became like a, a, a passion. So it started with, with yoga where I was like, okay, I really love this. And, and uh, then at some point I was lucky enough to get to, our parents gave us a little bit of money to the three kids. And I said, dad, I'm so happy. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the yoga teacher training. So my dad said, you're kidding, right? You know, because <laughs> he, he did like, it's a joke, right? And I was like, no, you'll see, it's going to be great. <laughs> So that's amazing. That's where, that's where I put my money into this six months training while I was still full time at school mm-hmm. in New York. And I became a yoga instructor that I, I did not even graduate from, from college yet that I became a yoga instructor. And on top of that, I was really lucky to get the best jobs from I, like my first job was teaching yoga on the rooftop at Soho House. Then somehow, don't ask me because it's crazy. I, I ended up teaching at Equinox, which is the absolute dream for someone in my field like I I like the same thing 10 years before where I thought I will never get into Boston Ballet I would never the same thing I got in I don't even I mean it was one of the best days of my life you know like I remember everything and and so then a real true and that might sound weird uh, maybe because it's a passion for fitness happens to me and I'm a fitness nerd. I always said I became a total fitness nerd. I'm all about fitness, but it's like 
I don't know. I am so lucky to wake up every day and it's a lot of discipline too. It's a lot of energy you have to have. It's tough because, you know, at, at the beginning, it's not like you're, you know, you can make a lot of money with it, but it's physically very challenging and it, you have to be creative. And so that happened to me that this passion just kind of like fell on my lap one day. And I'm, I'm so happy because if I had not been in the US, I would have never known. I would have never become a fitness addict in France. This I know. Because I had to be, I had these great teachers, these great methods, these great places. And I know that the way it is, you know, in, in France, I would have never fallen in love as much. But I was so lucky to be where I was and when I was and everything kind of fell into place. That's also the reason behind the studio is that for me, when I was in Paris, I was always so with the fit. I couldn't even take a class. I was just like, oh, sometimes I would. If I would visit my parents, I would book my plane ticket actually earlier to go back to New York because I needed to work out. So I would just, you know, I was supposed to leave on the 20th and I would leave on the 10th because I need to go back to Equinox. That's almost, it was, it was almost like a drug. But so that's why I wanted to, to create a space and give, hopefully give that opportunity also uh, to other people. But uh, yeah, I'm quite lucky that I ended up in the best thing kind of it's a mix of hard work and chance. I can't say that it was, you know, a friend told me you should try Equinox. I argued with him. I said, are you kidding me? I will never get in. And actually he was right. And, you know, it's a, it's a mix of things that made that I, I got this second passion. And I really want to tell people that it's not over if you have to stop something, you know, a career. You know, I guess there's athletes that, you know, they get injured and they have to stop, but you never know. I mean, you can be maybe a runner and you finally, you at the end, you're an amazing sculptor or whatever. It doesn't even have to be anything to do with your first passion. It could be knitting. I don't know. But I, it's nice to have that quest for, for your passion in a way, because without that, I don't know actually what my life would be because it's all revolving around that. Yeah. So one of the things that I feel needs to be said is you must have, you have tremendous discipline and that must be very helpful in pursuing anything, any kind of new passion. Because I find that, so as a, as a teenager, I studied um, classical piano. And if you want to be any good, I mean, it wasn't as grueling as your dancing career. Oh, you, still so have to, you still have to apply yourself. Yeah. And I think that one of the benefits in young people learning some of these harder creative paths because it is a, a form of creative self-expression when you do master it, right? Yes. Is that you, you build a massive discipline. So I'd love to have you tell us how that impacted your life. It's hard to know. Everybody in my family is very hardworking, not in a, a sports necessarily, but I think we're all hardworking. What's uh, with me is that I was hardworking as a teenager and my, my siblings weren't really hardworking as teenagers. So I don't know where I got that. It's hard to explain at the beginning. I think it's a kind of the chicken or the egg. I think that the passion gave me, I realized that if I wanted to do that, this is what it took. So I had no choice. And I think maybe some, some things that I don't see sometimes in younger generations that can be frustrating is that they want something, but they don't want to do what, re, what is required to, to become or to get that thing. And for me, ballet is so demanding. I mean, just like classical music. And it's like the, the hardest thing I've ever done was those two years of my teenager. Then whenever I would have a hard time in life later on and when I was in college full time and also had the ballet school and we had exams and stuff, I, I would be stressed out and I would say, Julie, 
high school. Jill, ah, okay. You know, it was, a, but it's a thing. Every time I go, this is so hard. It, you know, when I build a studio all on my own, uh, dealing with the constructions, hiring 10 teachers and running, you know, left to right to teach my classes in Paris while I was, you know, in construction and all of that. Julie, high school. So I think it's something to, that is super important maybe to get maybe young, because I think when you get this when you're young, it is much easier. I don't know how you get it if you don't have, you know what I mean? In French, we say, se faire violence. Like, yes, it's hard. Yes. But, you know, can you actually stop complaining or procrastinating? I think if you have motivation, you, the discipline kind of follows. And so I had much more discipline than I do now. I have much less discipline now. At, you know, I'm 32 and I, I kind of, you know, I'm not as disciplined, but, you know, anyone would say I'm very disciplined. But so if I compare myself to my teenage self, I'm much less disciplined. But for me, the discipline in France, it almost has a negative connotation because it also means punishment. And I think language actually forms and shapes the way you think. And I think um, that for me, discipline is like the foundation of everything that I could do in my life. Everything is about discipline. And if I did not have this discipline, I don't know how, you know, I would not have done all the things I did. I wouldn't, you know, because I start at 6.30 in the morning. It doesn't even cost me. It's really the foundation and the basis for everything else. If you have no discipline, you just kind of let yourself go a little bit, you know? And so then it's harder to achieve stuff. It's comes from being motivated and knowing because my parents taught me well that nothing's gonna just appear and happen so you're gonna move if you you want some and because they were kind of against it too I didn't have the choice it's not like hey you know can you drive me to uh to the, okay, you know they kind of let me you want to do that okay go ahead you know but I'm so mm. glad that it was like that you know that's so interesting. It was the, it was the same with my parents. They were like, "Oh, you want to leave? You want leave the, the home and you want to live on your own and go sing? Good luck with that." <laughs> and then you have no choice. I think it's nice to not overprotect, to be a little demanding, maybe of your child a tiny bit. I had a lot of pressure because I was like, "I can't make a mistake now." I knew we were doing all these things, but. It's also nice because my dad worked, but, you know, like he would leave home at 6 a.m. in the morning when he would come back. We were already asleep when I was a child. So I, I always that's discipline. Right. So that was the discipline that he had to do to succeed in his work. I think that it's kind of like it was engraved in me young that if you want this, if you want to provide a good life to your family, you have to leave the home at six and come back when they're asleep and not see them. And that's the sacrifice he made for us. So I think that that's not like something that I'm aware of, but I'm sure that it played a role because that's also, that's discipline. It's just a different kind of discipline. Yeah, what I was thinking as you were telling me this story is discipline was a foundation that you learned and that was modeled for you. But you also have that very passionate side of you. And I think it's the combination of the two <laughs> that probably gets the magic going. Tell me where I'm wrong. I mean, I think... Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the discipline allows me to not lose track and to not get distracted and to achieve a lot in a short amount of time. When I tell my life story, sometimes people say, how old are you? Because <laughs> so many things happen. It's like I had already two or three careers and I lived in seven different cities in four different countries and all alone. And, you know, so that discipline allows me to, okay, you know, I want my degree. 
I want to become a personal trainer. I want to be certified in yoga. I want to, you know, so that's discipline. But then, yeah, the passion is the, it's like if discipline is the car, but passion is the gas in the car or, you know, kind of like, you know, you can have the car. If you have no gas, you're going nowhere. And if you have just the gas and not the car, then you're not going nowhere either. Anywhere either. So I think that's the combination of both that is like the drive. I think people always say, you're so driven, you're so, you know, to stay with the metaphor of the car. Uh, I am driven because of the the the, the combination of both. So I, again, I mean, if I only had discipline, but didn't love what I would, what I did, I would still do it probably because I'm disciplined. But yeah, the passion gives me the energy that, you know, people say all the time, calm down, you're a yoga instructor. You know, I'm always hyper. It's just because I'm always on drugs, but because the drug is... Uh, my passion for what I do. No, but even if I'm tired, even if I had a bad day, I'm always speaking with that tone that, you know, I'm very tiring to be around, basically. <laughs> hey, as a teacher, it works. That's all I can tell you. Because being in your classes, they are very challenging. But man, your energy and your sense of humor really helps. Now, I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about what kind of fitness you discovered so this is really for anyone who doesn't really know what you do or <laughs> doesn't really have an understanding of the New York fitness scene or yoga <laughs> scene. I had the yeah. pleasure of living in New York for a while. I was a member at Equinox, but I think you didn't teach downtown, did you? No, I, was in the West I Village. did. Yes, the one in the West Village on uh, yes, Greenwich Avenue, probably. Yeah, I didn't teach exactly. there. No, they didn't have bars, remember, at the walls? Ah, uh, yeah. It would have been so fun to uh, <laughs> to, to see to know that we've met there. Everything has for a basis ballet to some extent. So I don't want to say that and people say, oh, okay, like I'm a dude, I'm not going to do it because it's just a basis. It's really like a basis. Doesn't mean you're going to do ballet or that you have to be graceful or it's not like that. But somehow the basis for everything is ballet in the use of music, meaning I choreograph each class, no matter what the concept is to the playlist I create, which is the reverse process of, I don't know, 98% of instructors where they create a class and they put some playlists to go with it. I start with the playlist and it's what the music inspires me. I really love music. So I do it that way. So music is very important. And then depending on the concept. So for example, my Brooklyn flow is is a vinyasa yoga class, meaning a flow, meaning you never pause. You, you don't stay in the poses. So a bit different from other more maybe traditional yoga or, or the, the, the image we can have of yoga where you're holding and breathing. So it's, um, it's a continuous flow that I called over there when I created it, I called it cardio flow. And then when I moved to Paris, I really, you know, because Brooklyn is like so important to me. I changed it to, to Brooklyn flow because I wanted a little tribute to my uh, Brooklyn squad. But basically, if you think cardio flow, you get more of a thing. So it's using, so using yoga positions and using yoga moves, you somehow get your cardio on and a little bit of core work and you listen to good music. And this came about because... <laughs> At the time, I was teaching eight classes a day. And, you know, in New York, I would teach one class there, commute for an hour to go teach another class there, commute for an hour to go. So I had, you know, a 15, 16 hour day every day, but I never skipped a workout and I needed to work out. I said so I needed to dance, but I needed to sweat. But sometimes I didn't have time because ballet class takes a long, you know, like it takes an hour and a half. Then you have to warm up before. Sometimes I couldn't do that. And so I would go to this hot yoga class so I could do yoga and sweat. 
and it was a hot yoga class where music was blasting. And then I noticed that the way I was doing the movements with my workout buddy, who was also a dancer, was linked to the music. So we were doing yoga, but listening to the music, just like you do in ballet. So that's how the idea came to me. And so guys really like it because they, they do yoga, but it's, you know, it's very dynamic and they sweat a lot. So that's for that. And then my other most popular one, the Brooklyn Bar mixes Pilates and ballet position and terms so that you, you feel that you're moving with the ballerina posture and the ballet moves, you know, plié, relevés, et cetera. But you're really doing Pilates and exercises to really just tone up. So it's just a fun way to tone up that, that uses ballet so that you feel graceful at the same time, right? So, so you could tone up doing CrossFit and great. That's a great thing to do. Or this is more like we're paying attention to the posture at the same time. And it's also low impact. You can't really get injured. Doesn't mean you're not working hard. You're working really hard, as you know. <laughs> Oh, yes, I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah, I wanted to tell you actually um, how I found you because it was so random. And I don't believe in coincidences, but I spend very little time on Instagram. And it's probably a side effect Good. of having been on Instagram so early and driving Christian Louboutin's social media for many years. But I started to follow uh, a coach in France who was mentioned by one of my favorite writers, Seth Godin. And she is Irish, but based in Paris. Her name is Imogen Roy. And, yes. and it's really funny because I saw probably the only Instagram post I've ever seen of hers was one saying that something like over the course of the first lockdown, the people that got her through were someone, someone, and you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> let's check her out. <laughs> And the next thing you know, I was on Zoom the, like the following week. So it's, it's really interesting. Crazy. I love Imogen. She's a very good client of mine. She, she knew me when I first arrived in Paris and was teaching in, in studios to start getting a clientele and just get to teaching, you know, before mm. I had my own. And then right away, she asked for private classes. So she's really a private client of mine. She would come every week. And she kept, you know, during the lockdown also taking the, the live classes. So we would do a mix of ballet and bar with her. Mm -hmm. So she's, she's an amazing person. So I'm very grateful to her. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> I checked out your name because she was so clear and so direct about how much you helped her. But also, I feel like this must have been a, a great responsibility for you and many, many teachers during the last couple of years. Because you had to deal with your own uncertainty. And then everyone looked up to you to help us make, to make us feel better about what was going on. Do you want to tell me about that? Yes. And actually, I will tell you a little secret. You guys don't know how much you helped us. So what is hard when, yeah, I mean, at first I had a particular amount of stress because I had just opened my studio and put my 10 years of savings working like a crazy mad person in New York in the studio two weeks before. So I put actually my under Where was savings, the studio? Uh, right in the center of Paris in the third arrondissement. Ah, okay. Ars et Métis, if you can uh, picture where that is. So, I mean, best neighborhood. I had done three months of construction. It was the most beautiful, I mean, 
most beautiful studio, I think, because I designed it to be like that. Like I wanted it to be the most beautiful, most welcoming. There was like, you know, everyone was American. Everything was in English. Uh, you know, there you had a process about how to welcome guests. And, you know, I had 10 teachers working for me. We did three months of construction. I mean, seven guys, seven days a week. They never stopped, you know, so that we opened on time. But we opened March 4th. And I think confinement was on the 16th or something like that. So here I am, a 30-year-old girl with all our savings in a space that's disgusting a lot of money and rent every month, not knowing when that's going to stop. And I mean, it was a stress that, I mean, was absolutely unbelievable. And I might have helped them somehow, I guess. But those classes to me, because when I teach, I am so happy. I am so happy. And I would teach five classes a day, which was really hard. So physically, I was completely drained and mentally because I was so worried. But there was that five hour of kind of break in my day. And so you would never see. And they told me, and I know I have this weird uh, ability uh, to, you will never know. I can be at the bottom of the, I can be in the worst. I don't know, there was something horrible just happened. And, you know, that the class, you would never see it. I think it's the dancer in me, probably, or there is something. And it's scary sometimes. At the time, I was with someone that he was, how can you put on this robot mode? It's almost scary because like it doesn't, but those classes to me, they actually held me together. You know, like it kept me together. So I'm very grateful that they are grateful to me. To me, it was me expressing my passion five hours a day. And without them being there, I would not have been able to. And it's the best compliment. And why do we do that? Why do we teach? I don't teach by default. I chose. It's something that I love to do. So when someone tells you that you've helped them in any way, could be you helped me because before I could never wear shorts and now I'm happy in shorts. It could be you helped me mentally because without you, I would not have done this lockdown. It could be uh, you helped me because now I accept this or this about myself or you helped me because working in your classes make me be stronger mentally. So at work, I can handle more, you know, whatever it is. If you help as a teacher, if someone tells you you help them, it's, it's the, you know, because that's the only feedback you get, you know, when you work in an office, maybe your project is accepted. I don't know. It's a very good presentation Very, you know, I teach a class that you, you don't know, you know, like, so the only feedback you get, and that's why it's so important because otherwise you don't know. And I'm lucky that my, my squad members, as, as I call them, are super, super nice because I, I feel like I get so much feedback, like genuine feedback after class. And I think it's quite rare, you know, when people take a class somewhere, go home and you will never know what they thought. And I'm lucky to have the best people that they're, they're like I'm an oversharer. They're also oversharers in a way that they share with me. Oh, it was such an awesome, you know, so that really, really helps. So they're really amazing. And so they helped me as well, you know. I'm happy if I did help them, but I know that they helped me. That's so cool. Yeah, I feel like you helped me too, even though it was a little bit lighter last year versus 2020. Well, and it was supposed to be, it doesn't feel like that looking Yeah, back. right. But it was really funny because I decided, it was right after I first came across your um, classes, I decided I wanted to renew with things that I wanted to do when I was a teenager and that I hadn't pursued for a long time. So oh. I used to play tennis and I loved it. I always wanted to, to do ballet and my mother was absolutely against it. And I lived so far in the countryside that it wasn't an option to take a class because it, it 
Yeah. There's no option and no internet. So there you go. And I decided I wanted to go horse riding. Like I really sort of decided to do all all of these things. And so you were my entry point into exercising with graciousness in and discovering something about well about dance or something that was almost like a missed passion that I never got to explore and recently so I'm a super nerd and I like you like to do several different things at the same time and so at the moment I am studying a course in what is called contemplative um, psychotherapy which is Buddhist psychology and I have the privilege to be taught by amazing teachers. And I found out that one of the things that can also help us relax and trigger what is called the parasympathetic nervous system is graciousness. So every time that we pay attention to our movements from and the way that you guide us is to hold of our, our posture, our hands and direct us, it actually slows down our breathing and it helps focus and concentration. And I had no idea, right? But I could tell that it was doing something really, really good. Um, Mind you, yeah, your ballerina body training, it's kind of intense. (laughs) You want to tell us about how you decided to bring it? Hit with ballerina hint. Yes, thank you. Because I didn't mention it earlier in my concepts. Actually, that's the latest one that I created. I had created one called ballerina body originally. And what happened is during lockdown, um, I was doing these Instagram lives that were followed by up to 1200 people every day. It was at 6 p.m. And it was so fun because there was so many people, you know, how was that lockdown? It's almost like a weird nightmare. But at the same time, there was some stuff that were like, oh yeah, that was happening. And there was the 6 p.m. meetup and it was like the highlight of my day. And so I was doing this and I had decided I called it the work ins instead of the workouts because we could be out. And it was because I thought, okay, people are at home and I'm going to teach them a yoga class or so I, I did these, I think there were 20 minutes hit workouts because I thought that's what people need because I really believe in sweating and jumping around to make you happy. And because I just can't get the ballet out of my system and out of my anything, I would do this hit class, but yeah, I would kind of mix with some movements. So they would, it was an actual hit class, but there would be some ballet moves or some ballet terms or, so that's how the concept kind of occurred to me. There's maybe I can mix uh, hit and ballet. And, and so because I had already trademarked the name ballerina body, and this was somewhat the same principle as a workout class, uh, that uses ballet, but that was the training version, you know, like you're wearing sneakers and you, so then I called it ballerina body training. I love this concept. I think it's, I mean, I hope it's different and, and it really gives you good cardio. And that's also how I like, it's kind of for me to have a portfolio of one class. If, if we had to find categories, one is a yoga class, one is a Pilates bar class, and the other one is a hit class. And I'm so happy and I'm so grateful in a way to have this knowledge thanks to being in New York, uh, surrounded by the best instructors and, you know, and being a ballerina and always loving to choreograph and create and all these things put together. I'm happy that I can say that I have three actual concepts of my own that are completely different from one another. So you could take all three back to back and you did three very different workouts. yet you know, they were created by, by the same person. And I love that, that, that dimension of my work, which is not, 
it's true. It's not as common. You can be a fitness instructor and never create a class. I love to do that. I actually also created a concept for a studio in Paris that is opening next week. I worked on it for four months last year. They reached out to me to create their concept. So I did. So there is that dimension of my work where I'm lucky to have the understanding thanks to being in the U.S., and seeing how concepts are and doing so many trainings. I mean, at Equinox, when you're an instructor, it's not like, oh, you're an instructor and you sit there and you wait. It's every six months they say, you're going to do another training that you're not going to be paid for, but you're going to do it because that's a requirement. <laughs> so, okay. You know, so every six months we had to train again for something new. And so I could understand now that I'm very grateful to have that because it adds a creative dynamic. I don't know if I didn't have my own concept. I think that eventually I would be bored teaching. Yeah, that's very possible. But now you've just linked this to Paris. There's one thing that I wonder because, so I lived in Paris for two years and I was a member at Le Clay, which is like a nice enough American type-ish yes. gym. I worked out with an amazing personal trainer called uh, William, who was the most hilarious guy who was trained in Thai boxing. And yet we always talked about food. <laughs> and <laughs> I love it. He was a big foodie and I met his wife. Like he was a really great guy. But there was an overwhelming um, sense as a woman who was training in that gym. And I think it was very similar when I tried, I had, I think, gone to visit Luzine. Is that it was a very male dominated and very male driven. And I think that I, one of the things I greatly enjoy about what your classes offer is actually sort of a direct sense of, so it's powerful, it's hardworking, but it's also gracious and immensely feminine. Thank you so much for saying that because it's, uh, I am, so, I mean, I don't know, I'm going to have, I'm going to cry right now because the basis for these concepts is, especially in France, but it's like, so either they don't work out and it's like, you work out, you're crazy. At 7 a.m., oh, you're crazy. So, so you know, e either you don't work out, which is 75%. And then the others, they're, oh, I'm going to do CrossFit and boot camp. And now I feel like I'm really working, you know. And it's, I so do not believe in that because I've gotten a lot of injuries, whereas I am really aware of alignment and I've gotten injuries. I think that uh, originally my body has a lot of weaknesses because it's not the injuries I get. It's not from doing movements badly. It's from my body having some kind of, you know, uh, something weird at the beginning. But I don't understand. And again, I, it's weird because we don't want to be women and men. And, you know, it's not at all like women cannot do CrossFit. Uh, we, like, we can do CrossFit. Like, just like there's many things we can, you know, it's not the problem of being able to is I do believe in being graceful. And sometimes that, that sounds like, oh, what do you mean? So, but for me, being graceful is just when you see a dancer, how many times you're on the street, oh, are you a dancer? Are you? And it's a compliment always. People never say, oh, are you a dancer as something mean? I guess they always mean it as a compliment. Otherwise they wouldn't ask, right? So what is it that they see? If you're on the street wearing a coat and not with a bun, what is it that they see? It's a posture that they see. And it's a compliment that they're giving you. So there is something, right, that is uh, noticeable, that is, I, I, I guess, pleasing to see. And then I really want not always only dancers to be able to get those compliments and to be able to get that posture, right? It's so important for men and women, but I think that a woman that has like nice and open shoulders and all of that, and also our lifestyle makes us be so much 
like with the rounded shoulders because of the phone, because of the computer, because we're sitting, that we need to compensate. And so for me, I created all these concepts and, and, and almost a particularly ballerina body uh, to be the feminine version of. So for me, in my world, the boyfriend would go take a hit class or a boot camp class while the girlfriend goes take the same. It's a hit class, ballerina body training. But the way she's going to move is going to be different. I think that's really what I try to do. And I'm so happy that you say that because I just I think that it's great to do CrossFit and all and boxing and all of this. But all these postures like you need to compensate with something. And it's difficult if you don't go to ballet class to get that. And so I wanted to make the benefits of ballet accessible to absolutely anybody. So anyone can do Brooklyn Bar. Anyone can do Ballerina Body. Anyone gets to work on their posture and get the compliment on the street that they have a good posture. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I, I do think that I have a better posture. I mean, I want to tell you for the story that when I was, I think the first yoga class I took was a teacher in London. I think that it took a year or two years for me to understand that my shoulders were always here because I mean, I, I didn't know what it meant. To, to, I, I could not understand why she was saying, drop your shoulders. And I was like, what? So I think everyone needs help with that, especially if you've never danced. Um, I don't understand boot camp because the last thing I want is anyone yelling at me. I mean, I just, I absolutely do not understand that. I can work really hard. Just don't yell at me. And I think that's a good transition to something that I wanted to touch on. Julie, where does your sense of humor come from? Because you're very <laughs> funny in your classes. And I think that I cracked up so much. I think it was one of, one of the earlier classes that we did. And you were having us balanced on one leg, the other leg in the air. And we we're working our triceps with weights. And you were like, you know, Giselle, the ballet? Well, it's like Giselle, but with weights. And I almost fell over. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> thank you so much it's a great compliment actually to give me to say I'm funny because you know something you know in class I make the I always tell you thank you for putting up with my silly jokes you know because <laughs> thank you for saying I'm funny I don't know that everyone would agree let's say I make jokes okay so we're gonna say I make jokes whether they are funny or not you guys judge I am very sarcastic and I, I pick up on details and I love to always, you know, I love to talk and I love to um, bounce on something I see or something. I mean, with humor, you can make any message come across, meaning I can also make you do push-ups straight to make a joke. And all of a sudden you forgot you did two more push-ups than you were supposed to. And you're a little less mad at me, right? So I think it's that. Maybe with this, I really don't know. Maybe it's for having this horrible, like very austere ballet teacher when I was a teenager, you know, that uh, I don't think she ever loved one day in her life, the Palladian. You know, it could be one of these things like you don't have to be so serious. And it's also because I think that laughing and having good energy around you is, is just a necessity. I mean, if you don't laugh, if your life is serious, it's just like, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be so heavy. And so I think it comes from that I really, really, really want. And so this is why also something that's important to me is people sometimes say to me, why don't you do before and after pictures? So we see the results because we see, we know the results. Like I have my belly is much more flat. 
I said, because the way that your belly is more flat or your butt is more lifted, it's so great. I'm so happy for you. But the goal is not that. It's just a happy result. You're going to get the lifted butt. You're going to get the six pack. You're going to get the toned triceps. All of this you're going to get. But I don't want this to be my advertisement because what I would really, really, really like is that you say, I had the best hour of my day. And that's what I try to do. It will give you the triceps, the butt, the blah, blah, blah. It will. So I have no doubt about that. But you can also do a boring video, a boring class and get that and have a bad hour. But you did it because you have to. Me, like I was lucky to do when I was going to New York. I never skipped a workout one day in my life. And I was happy to go. And I was happy during it. And I was happy after. It's not like, okay, I'm going to have a bad hour, but at least at the end, I'll feel better. No. Can you spend a good hour? And I think that this is why I try to be creative in a workout. This is why I try to be creative in the music. And this is why I make jokes. Because if in one hour of your time that you dedicate to me, there already, I'm very lucky that you do that. If in one, that one hour, you can get the toned everything and feel graceful and feel like you've achieved something and laugh. And uh, it's you maximized your time, right? People don't have time, right? <laughs> we don't have time. No one has time. So can we at least get all of this in one hour? So I think this is where the sense of humor, and there, you know, that I'm super sarcastic. I make the, you know, so whenever I teach a class somewhere first, say my first class in Berlin, my first class, people are always like, you know, with one eyebrow raised, like, did she... You know, the first time, because it's like, I'm very sarcastic. So you have to understand that what I'm saying is a joke because I say it with a straight tone or whatever it is. And when I taught my first class in, in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, my boyfriend at the time was waiting for me in Equinox at Williamsburg. And one woman left the class and I was still chatting with people upstairs. Actually, this woman was, she was there at my first class in Brooklyn and she became my best friend funny but she went down to the front desk and she said oh my god like there is a girl I just took a class with the most sarcastic girl ever that was the most awesome class and my boyfriend when I went down is like so funny because a girl came out of your class and I knew it was you because she said the most sarcastic girl ever and so he knew she was talking about me you know and so I was lucky enough that she was someone with a, then she was something, someone working at corporate at Equinox. So she fell in love with my class. And so it's funny, but you know, so this sarcasm, this thing for me is like super important, you know, because at the end she said the class was amazing, but she did note the, that she had fun during the class is mm -hmm. what she said. She didn't say, oh, great. Oh, I feel like, you know, so uh, I think mm -hmm. it's just important. The, uh, entertainment. Maybe that's why I love ballet, right? It's entertaining, right? So entertainment's important. Sure. But I think that what's lovely is that I feel like you're showing us who you are. I was listening to a podcast yesterday with an interview of a, an, an American entrepreneur that I know of, but don't follow much called Mary Forleo. And she was joking. This is someone who worked on Wall Street, then became a hip hop dancer in New York and, and then a coach and who does that coaching and stuff. And she was relaying that people would say, I know it's you because it'll be really deep and full of great wisdom, but then there'll be like three guys in a mankini <laughs> appearing in your video. And I've never seen her videos, but I love that. I love when we show people who we really are and get to share our sense of humor. <laughs> I, I can feel how French you are sometimes. 
<laughs> your, when you make jokes about champagne. And I can feel you've lived in Brooklyn when you talk about oat milk lattes. And it's kind of a blend of both that just makes it feel really fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so you've appeared in quite a lot of magazines and I think it is now, you could call yourself also a fitness model. Was that ever part of the plan? And, and how do you enjoy this? Okay. In, in New York, oh, that's something I didn't tell you, but I was a fitness model while I was having the ballet school and the college at the same time and teaching yoga. So I was, I was a fitness model for Wilhelmina, which is uh, one of the biggest agencies in New York. So I love fitness modeling, but I never called myself. I never associated with that. I never, because every time you say, oh, I'm a model, there is always something, there is some, somehow, it's like if you're pretentious or... I don't know. It's like, so I was a model, but it was like, I was secretly a model, you know, I never said it. And sometimes I forget because to me it was, you know, and sometimes they would call me to casting and be, Julie, you have to be there in half an hour. And now I have a class to teach. The, the, the job would give me 10,000. The class would pay me 50, <laughs> you know, but I never skipped the class to go to the casting. You know, so it's, I enjoy doing it because fitness shoots are so fun because you actually have to do stuff. You have to try to find a way, you know, so it's interesting. It's like a, a game. And I love it. And I work with brands like, you know, Asics and Repetto and RS. And uh, I, I really love the job. I just, I don't love castings. I don't like, it's a, it's a lot of wasted time where you could be teaching or doing something. So I love the job itself. I'm still a fitness model. It's different in, in France. There is no fitness, fitness agencies just doesn't, just doesn't exist. You know, that also tells you. Uh, but yeah, it's something I really, really enjoy doing as long as it doesn't take too much of my time on, you know, my other stuff, like my classes and what I really love to do even more. Sure. There's something that I thought of actually after I, I did my reading up on you yesterday. Um, so you have a way of making everyone feel very included in your classes. And this is something that is difficult to put across on, on Zoom, but you're sort of, there's, a, there's a lot of warmth. So I knew a few famous trainers in New York, friends of friends. There's been a lot of falling from grace. And even though they were very lovely to me, but I had a very fancy job title. I worked at Christian Louboutin. I read a lot of sad things about sizeism and a lot of body shaming of students. Yeah. Um, is this something that you came across and something that you consciously works, work against? Uh, I don't consciously work against it at all because it's just uh, who I am. But I, I came across it and very often the, the mean instructors are very popular. I've been in a yoga class in New York of this girl that everybody, you know, the class was always full and blah, blah. And she was so mean to a man that was there who was there, who was not obviously a professional yogi. I almost, and believe me, she was an Equinox instructor and I was like, an, you know, and I was in her class as a student, but she was much more senior than me. I almost stood up and said, don't talk to him like that. I have this strong sense of justice since I'm a child, which got me in trouble many times in my life because I always have to, to take care of other people's business if I think that it's unfair. So I hate that. I do not understand why these people have black classes because it is the first thing that should happen is that people say, don't put up with you insulting me or insulting the next person. Or there is this something that people maybe in Europe have a harder time. It's in New York, we're, we're like stars, right? And I was lucky at Equinox. So my class would book in, in, in 20 seconds. It, was be, it would be booked and there was this huge wait list. And then, you know, I had people fight and I had to call security. Equinox had to call security once because people fought to get, 
I mean, this is crazy, right? So, and then you have the instructors who get the head like this because this is happening to them. And now my class is impossible to get into. So you're nobody, you will never get in and you will. And, and I have the absolute contrary approach, which if only I could have pushed the walls so that everyone on the wait list would get in, that's when I would have been happiest. I am not happy that people can't get in. That doesn't bring my ego up there. What would have made me happy is that the the 40 people plus the 30 on the wait list would all be in. Then I'd been happy. It was not one person left on the wait list. That's, there is that in America because we're brought up to the status of stars. People recognize you on the street. People fight, blah, 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 blah. blah. You, you make good money being a fitness instructor. You know, so people get sometimes a bit, you know, over their head. But I'm against that because I, I because I genuinely love people and I do not do this job to bring my ego up. I do it because I hope that it brings whatever it brings to people. I hope that it serves them and that it helps them in any way. If they laugh and that's it, if they feel better in their body and that's it, whatever it is, it's because I actually love to be around people. I actually love people. I'm not one of these solitary people at all. I just, I am super social. So yeah, that's why I will never embarrass anyone. And I can see the people that are not at ease when they come to a class and that they're shy. And I make a point to go and to make them feel welcome. Oh, hi, it's your first time. No worries. You'll see. You'll just fall, you know, because it's important to me. I, I just don't get a high from being intimidating. It's just not who I am in life or, and it never changed. Even when the career at Equinox was crazy, the, you can't change a person. It's not going to change me. We're just here to help each other. No, I mean, there's no point in being mean. I hate mean people. So that's that. I think it's the, <laughs> <laughs> the thread. Yeah. Oh, well, but it's, uh, I, it's something that I feel in your classes for sure. So the podcast, as I mentioned to you before, is at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I'd love to hear from you about how you cultivate a sense of being grounded, especially in difficult times. What do you do for self-care? Any rituals that you can share with us? I mean, the self-care for me is mostly physical and I do, I have the, I mean, I found finally in Lisbon after my entire life running the Royal, I found the best massage therapist in the world. So he's in Lisbon and he comes to me every other Sunday and that's that. So I do this. I think if you work out a lot, that's important because a tight body is just like tension and tension, you know, it resonates and everything. Like, let's say you hurt your back, you're always going to be in a bad mood. You can't have a bad back and be like, hey, guy, you know, it doesn't happen. So you have to be taking care of yourself physically because the, the physical pain or it affects your mood. As to mindfulness, I'm very bad. I, I should do meditation and I'm not going to lie. I don't. And I know that I need it. I'm someone that can get very anxious somehow. It's weird because I have a lot of energy and I haven't found the key other than working out. <laughs> so the more I work out, when I work out or when I dance, so that's the only thing. So I think doing something you love and, you know, I, the last couple of years, I faced a lot of personal challenges that are not even related to business and everything. I had a, a, a very difficult past three years personally. And I think that what has helped me is to just, I've learned to be nicer to myself because as a ballerina, I, it's, you're always wrong. 
you're to this, you're to that, you're not enough that, your feet, I mean, you even hate your feet. It's like, who cares about your feet? But you're like, my foot's like, so everything is a detail and every detail about you is so horrible. And I, and I grew up for 30 years like that. And the past two years, and it's uh, something that I need to, you know, my friends always, Julie, stop. You're too hard on yourself. When you grow uh, and you try to be the best version you can be, you can't be perfect, but if you've tried to improve yourself after a while, I mean, you've done the work. You have to cut yourself some slack. You have to just be a bit nicer. And so I try to catch myself when I'm talking badly to myself. And I say, well, would, you, would you talk like that to your friend? And I say, oh, no, because I never speak badly to people. So I only speak badly to me. <laughs> so I try to to not do that. And I think it's mental work that we should all try to do because sometimes we are our worst enemy, our worst critic, our worst, you know, it it doesn't take a shrink or a massage or it, it takes just, can you be nicer? You start with you, right? Trying to be nice to you. Sometimes I make mistakes and I get, you know, and I say, wait, no, I mean, I didn't intend badly, right? So yeah, I made a mistake because we're humans and that's what we do, but it was, was I ill intention? No. So, okay. I've, you know, it's starting with yourself, I think. Yeah, uh, self-compassion. That's not talked about enough. And self-talk and is much, so important. Like, yeah, like, oh, it's okay. Don't do anything for three months. Stay on the couch. Not that. It doesn't have, I mean, it's, you know, like we always go to extremes, but it's just, just kindness. Just, mm. okay, you had a hard month. You had a traumatic event. You had a, whatever it is. So yeah, it's normal that right now you don't feel like going to do that. Actually, it's just mm. normal. Don't feel bad. You know, spend my life feeling guilty for not doing this or that. So I try, but it comes with age, I have to say. But I try <laughs> to to not feel as guilty as I as I used to. Congratulations. That sounds like a really good plan. <laughs> now, before we go to my closing questions, is there anything else you'd like to share? Anything that we haven't touched on? I mean, no, I'm very grateful for all your, your questions because they're very well informed and it's very touching to me. And I think that you really mentioned everything. And I'm grateful that you've, that you've asked those questions. So thank you. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. So this is one of my favorite questions, actually. What is a favorite word that you could tattoo on yourself? Okay, just super quick. Those are two, like, the only word I could tend to on myself is Brooklyn. That's the only oh. word. <laughs> but my favorite word is passion. Oh, wonderful. Okay. <laughs> now, the next one is probably the hardest question, I think. What song best represents you? I think it's Keep the Faith by Michael Jackson. Ooh, I don't feel like it's, I know that one. It's, the, it's my theme song, I think. Uh, this and Follow That Dream by Elvis Presley. Ooh. It's uh, Keep the Faith and Follow That Dream. Listen to them. They're for me. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, this is exactly, you know, uh, lots of challenges, lots of changes of, of, of directions, lots of unplanned thing that I had to figure out. And yet always keep the faith and always follow the dream. Awesome. Do you know, I'm starting to put together a um, Spotify playlist with all of the answers of my guests. So I can't wait to put that up. <laughs> what is a secret superpower that you have? I think it's that uh, my, my energy is unaffected by anything else. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, this robot mode I was talking about. Uh, when I teach, it's a on button and, and I'm going to be in the best mood, whatever happened, whatever. And, and, you know, and you will never tell. Mm. 
So, and I don't know why, but it's something that helps a lot because when you have challenges, you need to be able to do your, your work. And my work requires a lot of energy. So I think it's that. Mm. To almost strive on the challenges and almost strive on the fatigue. Sometimes the harder it is, I convert negative stuff into energy, as I think is a superpower. <laughs> superpower for sure <laughs> what is a favorite book of yours Ooh, a favorite book i love La lady of the camellia by alexandre Dumas because uh, it's a beautiful love story it's uh, basically the story of moulin rouge if you know the movie i guess the the, the movie is based on this book it's just that i'm a i'm a real romantic person so i love these uh, tragic love stories <laughs> <laughs> what is the last lie that you told The last lie that you, someone asked me how I was doing and I said, great, how are you? And I was not really great, but I didn't want to ruin the mood. <laughs> so, <laughs> Where is somewhere you visited that you felt really had an impact on who you have become? I mean, unfortunately, I didn't take many vacations in my life. So there's, there's not so many places I've visited. There's places I've lived <laughs> because I don't have the time to just visit. So I think New York. New York, especially Brooklyn, it's engraved in me. If I'm in New York and if I'm in Brooklyn, I never feel more home than if I'm in Brooklyn or New York. Because mm -hmm. I know all the codes, I know my way, I know everything. I could, you could transplant me right now in New York and I would pick up my life. There is nowhere else where I feel that much at home. Like my home is New York and I'm not saying this to be fun. It's like really where I grew up. So yeah, that place for me is uh, uh, affected, you know, my mentality and the way I see things and my work ethic. It's all, all New York, I think. Imagining that you can step into a future version of yourself. What is the most important advice that you think you'd need to give your current self? Mm, I think this is like as an entrepreneur, you want to know that what you're trying to achieve, you will achieve. Like if, if now I knew that what I'm trying to achieve is a given, it's for sure, maybe I'd relax. So I wish that it would tell me, okay, you don't worry, you make it at the end. <laughs> so <laughs> chill out, <laughs> watch TV a little bit. <laughs> And that brings us to my final question, which is what brings you happiness? Just being passionate, being around people who love you and loving people and being able to make the life that you want to have kind of a, like an architect or an, and never be a, a slave to anything but just your own you know being able to live with your rules and and that and I mean love I mean I think of course it's the basis for life no so love passion love for people love you know being loved being I think those are the most important things really Thank and you a good so workout. Much, oh, yeah. And a good workout. <laughs> yeah, you needed to add that. Yes, thank you. Sorry. It would have yeah. been off character otherwise. <laughs> Julie, thank you so much for your time today. It was such a pleasure to chat to you and get to know you better. May I ask you for anybody who wants to find you, where can they get you online or in person? Oh, thank you. Well, um, online, if they go to the site, thestudioparis.com, so T-H-E, you know, thestudioparis.com. And if they want to find me in real life in general, it's mostly updates because I'm, I'm teaching a lot between Paris, Lisbon, and probably some other European cities at Geneva soon. And I think the best way is on my Instagram. And that's um, if you type Julie Granger, 
fitness, it's easier because my account is Juju on the rocks, but the spelling is weird. So Julie Granger Fitness on Instagram, I think, is where you have the most up-to-date, uh, you know, info on on my fitness adventures. <laughs> awesome. And I will put links to everything we talked about and your website and everything in the show notes as well. So thank you so much again. I hope that I will see you tomorrow because yes. I am planning to do the 11 a.m. bar. <laughs> Although I am playing tennis um, three days in a row for an hour and a half. So I may okay. be a little bit tired. All right. I hope you have wonderful plans for the rest of the day and the weekend. And thank you so much. And thank you for having me. And uh, hopefully I'll see you in class tomorrow. And thank you so much again for, for thinking of me with this podcast and for asking all these questions that really resonated with me and for allowing me to share my story. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon and have a wonderful day. Thanks again to Julie Granger for being my guest on the show today. You can find her at juliegranger.com or at thestudioparis.com. All the social links are in the show notes as well. So friends and listeners, thank you so much for joining me again today. If you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe to the show on any platform of your choice. And if you'd like to connect, you can get in touch with me underscore out of the clouds on Instagram where... I also like to share guided meditations and other daily musings about mindfulness. You can also find all of the episodes and more on vmulitada.com. And if you don't know how to spell it, that's in the show notes too. And you can subscribe if you'd like to receive the bi-monthly newsletter, which is also at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to Out of the Clouds. And I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, be well, be safe and take care.